0: everybody and welcome to my first ever podcast episode. My name is Anja and I'm super happy and excited that you found your way here today. In the last few months the topic of death was and is still very present for me. I found myself in a deep process where many questions came up like what happens when we're dying, what happens to our consciousness, what are the stages of grieving and why do we have such deeply rooted inhibitions when it comes to death and dying. So lately a lot of signs are popping up all around me that kind of feel like a force trying to tell me to look closer at death and everything that comes with it and not just talking about our own mortality but talking about death in our everyday lives. I had this strong impulse to talk about death, dying, consciousness and liminal experiences to others. So on this journey I would say that I was magically led to Tree car who Happened to be my guest here today. She is a certified death doula and end of life guide, teaches conscious dreaming practices, hosts workshops and ceremonies, and also is a published author. Today she tells us about her path and the connection between death and dreams. I hope you enjoy it. Hi Tree! I'm so grateful to have you here today on the podcast. Please
1: introduce yourself and share with us what exactly it is that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much, Anya. Um And I do like that there's been magical synchronicity that put us both on each other's radar. That's, I love working that way. Uh, just follow the synchronistic uh, flow. And that, that feels like a liminal space in its own right. Um, so yeah, just a little bit about me. I'm... Um, I'm a published author and I work in the realms of dreams and death and divination, so all the the realms of the mysteries in a way. And I help uh, guide people and connect people more deeply to their dream realms to become more conscious in those states in order to uh, have self-growth, spiritual growth, uh, self-exploration, expansion of consciousness, healing, whatever, you know, creative practice. And I also am a death doula. So I help support people who are dying or at end of life or navigating any of the issues around death and dying. And I support people through that process, psychologically, emotional support, spiritual support, as well as pragmatic and practical care as well. Um, It's not a nurse role. It's more of a companion, uh, end of life guide role. So it's not um, technically palliative care. It's more of a compassionate approach to uh, a human connection through the dying process. So that could be anything from vigiling with someone on their deathbed to hold space for them or helping them prepare their funeral plans so there's a it's quite wide scope, but it's all the human the human elements of the death and dying process, not the medical elements so I like to differentiate between the two um and then when i as a as a writer I've authored uh books, and uh the books thus far that I've worked through and that are out there are on dreaming, so specifically conscious dreaming so becoming a mega cognitive dreamer aware and lucid within the dream state so you can really get some interesting work done so that's what i do <laughs> some of the things i do
0: <laughs> i'm already a huge fan and i think you're doing like you're such an inspiration to me already and yeah what would be super interesting for me is um did you always feel drawn to to the topics like death and did you always envision yourself of becoming a death doula or would you say that there is like an experience or something in your life that is linked to to your interest in those kind of topics
1: yeah so um I think maybe it all starts with my natal chart, which I'm a double Scorpio. So Scorpios are, um, as you know, they, they they rule the the areas of death and the mysteries. So I think hmm, maybe it was in my chart when I was born. Uh, you maybe, were born with it. maybe born with it, uh, born with a death obsession. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, possibly then possibly that's the blueprint of my psyche. I'm not quite sure, but. Uh, From a young age, I was always quite uh, inquisitive when it came to anything to do with death. I guess the first death I've experienced was my grandfather when I was six years old, five or six years old. And I felt quite comfortable with the conversations with my mother when she explained that he had passed away. I had also uh, been at his wake, open wake funeral, and I felt very comfortable uh, viewing my grandfather. And I also, like, held his hand while he was in the coffin uh, to the horror of many of my older relatives who came over and went, you can't do that.
0: <laughs> it's it's super weird because I feel like many adults don't want to take um, the children to, like... Um to like a funeral or see dead bodies. And I feel like this is quite necessary to also um, give children this comfort of, you know, that, that this is part of life, that this is totally normal.
1: Yeah, so I that's exactly right, and I and in fact, uh, speaking of children, I think it's death should be taught in schools, and I just can't believe it is. And I mean, it should be up there like with sex education. There should be death education, and people, it's a it's a human experience, and we're all going, we're all heading towards that inevitable point. So, um, I, I feel very grateful that my my parents were quite you know open about that, and you know I was able to have my first experiences uh, with death, mourning, and being around uh, a deceased uh, human. uh, And that felt quite uh, natural. And then as I got old, it was growing up, I was the type of teenager (laughs) that was like, uh, into um, lucid dreaming, out of body experiences, a lot of experiencing a lot of precognition. So I was very interested in the other, in the mystery. So around that time too, whenever there was a death in the family or a death of uh, friends of my parents, I always said to my mom, can I come to the funeral? And she was like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> and like, I wasn't a goth or anything like that. And in fact, I was more of, a, more of an art hippie punk kind of teenager. I wasn't goth at all. So there wasn't a morbid fascination with it. So it wasn't like, you know, I was dressed in black and like, (laughs) it wasn't that at all. It was just, I was more um, psychologically interested. I was spiritually interested in the process of death and dying and being around bereavement and death. So my mom was like, yeah, sure. You could be my funeral companion. So I would go with her to a wide variety of funerals, open weight caskets and see, you know, see the de- deceased persons and just be in the space of where people were. Um, also at that time, my best friend, her father was dying of terminal cancer, and, you know, and I was 15, 16, 17 years old, all through our high school years, he was declining and he was dying. And so I was I was there for her during the process and I saw his decline and was there for his final days and uh, at the funeral and everything. So I felt like I supported her through the um, through the process of her father uh, dying, uh, which was, you know, a pretty big thing for a young Mm -hmm a young teenage girl to lose her dad. Yeah. So I, I felt like I was stepping into the roles quite early as a, as a young person without even really thinking about it. It just felt just natural uh, to do that. And I felt like uh, comfortable uh, talking about death and being around it. Um, and then things started to happen in a more synchronistic way around the age of 17 where I happen to this is the weirdest thing too. this has followed me through my whole life where I happen to be out and about in public, and you know something happens where someone gets into an accident or falls or has a fit or is in some kind of uh medical emergency uh where in like in front of me or around me and this is this started happening when I was like seventeen. The first, uh, incident was uh, witnessing a, a motorcycle accident where a motorcycle uh, driver was hit really badly um, in an accident and launched off his bike and flew really far and crashed onto the ground. And a friend of mine went over to help him. Uh, of course, we knew we know I grew up, you know, as a Girl Scout, so I knew the basics of CPR and also, uh, uh, first aid. And I knew you you shouldn't move the person or take their helmet off or any of that. You should, you should, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you could make it worse. So we are following all those guidelines. And this is like 1988, I think it was. And my friend had run to call a friend uh, or call the ambulance uh, at a friend's house um, because this, there was no mobile phones then. Mm. And that was my first experience of being with a person comforting them in a you know uh on the edge of their life holding his hand I knew I shouldn't touch him or anything like in terms of his helmet and comforting him until the until the ambulance came to to help him um but a real sense that this is bad that in terms of he's not going to make it and in fact he didn't he didn't and um
0: Did you feel that at that point that that you were close to death did you get yes, kind of like sensation
1: i did and it it has a a feeling it's like time stopped but i've really felt like it was just me and this person and i just felt like all i could really do at that point was give him give, give him words um he was breathing so i knew i didn't have to do any mouth to mouth and but there was a real sense like this doesn't feel like it's going very well because that, um, it is just a sense mm. m- more than anything. Uh, so that, that really had a profound effect on me. Um, my parents asked if I needed to talk to anyone or counseling, but I felt, I felt okay about it in terms of like, I was able to find calm within the, the trauma and within the storm. I didn't have, um, Uh, I I didn't have PTSD from it. Hmm. Um, and then from that point onwards, it seemed to happen quite a bit every year, up to four or five times a year for like many, many, many years. I mean, I have countless stories of various ways in this, how this has happened, you know, from different, (laughs) different cities around the world, you know, people collapsing in churches and mexico city and me and the priest running over to help this person having a fit um being in being in london a man trapped under a hit by a bus and trapped under the bus under the wheel and like i'm the first one over there to help this guy um more motorcycle accidents been there holding hands of guys who've broken their ribs in motorcycle accidents and just saying, look into my eyes, just breathe. They see, you know, the medics coming, you know, and just having people, holding space for people, holding space for them. Um, so many countless experiences. And then um, people on the edge of death are close, to, you know, just having this, looking into the eyes of death, basically. Not, of course, um, the only people that have uh, died were, the the the, uh, the one when i was 17 and then the one when i was 40 so uh that le- brings me up to when i decided to become a death doula so that particular um experience was walking down uh broadway market in london and uh, seeing a, a pretty big heavy-set gentleman struggling uh leaning against the wall and i thought oh maybe i should go ask him if he wants to sit down so when i went over to ask him he started to collapse and um, myself and several others uh, helped hold him while he was falling. And he was in the middle of having a uh, cardiac arrest. So we knew this was serious. And I knew as soon as we touched him and he was collapsing, like this is serious. So we really need. Um, so it was a busy market. So it was great There, you know, there's four of us working on him, uh, CPR and, you know, calling nine, nine, nine and taking turns. And even like the GP came out with a fliberator and was trying to revive him. And I was just holding his hand with his head on my lap. And I was just giving him, uh, calm words of like, you're not alone. It's okay. Helps on its way. It's all right. It's going to be okay. And, you know, he's turning purple and his, he's gasping for breath and literally, uh, just knowing that this is not looking good, right? For this person and just felt like just hold this person and just be there for them. And I was holding his hand and he had his eyes look wide open and he was looking up at the sky and it was a beautiful sunny day. And he was looking up at the sky and his eyes were wide open. And then he just literally tears were just streaming down his face. And I just thought, what is he seeing right now? And he just let out his last breath. It just went, just gone. And I just, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be a medic to understand or know when someone's died. And it was pretty intense. And, um, you know, of course this, the ambulance took ages, like probably 25 minutes to get there. It was an absolute tragedy, even though we all really tried very hard. And, um, they arrived and of course we all had to scatter and then they worked on trying to zap him back to life. And, you know, everybody's just in shock. And I was just thinking, I just thought how this is just, why does these things keep happening to me (laughs) before I'm in these places when this is happening? And part of that story too, was that his, his, um, his his wife and his daughter and his mother were walking ahead of him in the market and they didn't realize that he had fallen behind and they came back at one point obviously they realized oh where's dad and so they came running back at one point and at this point they they come back to the paramedics had removed his shirt and they're trying to zap him back to life mm-hmm. And this is how they're seeing their dad and their loved one. And they just were absolutely like screaming. And so I just went over to them and what's going on with, you know, and so I helped them and I was hugging them. They're total strangers. They're crying in my arms. And I just just stayed with them really for like, uh, for the hours, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was after that, that I thought, why does this keep happening? I feel like these experiences and these synchronicities just keep following me my whole life, like for decades now, and I'm starting to get a complex, like, am I making this stuff happen? And like, um, You know, even had friends saying, Every time we go out with you, tree, someone falls off the uh, off out of their chair and has a fit. We're on a tube, they're falling over. This woman, you know, is always like, Am I making it? I'm getting a, you know, thinking, Am I some kind of like curse or something? And so before I went to sleep that night, I decided to ask my dreams to show me, you know, what's why is this? You know, I'm paying attention here. What are these synchronicities? And Uh, In the morning when I woke up, I had a quick succession of images and dreams, uh, but they were actually more like a rerun of my life of all the times it's happened. And it was a real slap in the face from the universe where it was a eureka moment of like these things keep happening and you're in the right place at the right time because you need to step into this role. You need to step into the role of, of being there to comfort people who are on the edge of death and who are fearful and so i thought wow is that actually a job (laughs) so i i got up and i looked on google and google's really great for stuff like this so i'm like google
0: what can I do
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i didn't know what the name of any of this was right so i just wrote uh, emotional support at death you know click and the first thing that came up or the second thing that came up was death doulas and i was what's that and i clicked on it, and I found all about death doulas, death midwives, women and men who support people at end of life and who are there to navigate the terrifying waters for some people. And I thought, that's it. I so resonate with that so much. Uh, I immediately sent them an email and said, when's your next course? I'd like to sign up for the certificate program. And yeah, they got back and the rest is history. I joined up and basically did my training as a death doula. And um, yeah, and just never looked back really. And now when all these synchronistic things happen, and they still do happen, where I seem to be in the right place at the right time, now I can just, I just step into it like, okay, yeah, here we go, universe, I'm here. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with this person who's uh, really (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that's kind of how it all how it all happened
0: how How does it look like like do people um, approach you when they are sick or is it more like relatives that um, that are writing to you and asking you if you could support support their loved ones
1: Yeah, so the support happens in many different ways. Uh, I've supported people who've been on their deathbeds, so death vigiling, like deathbed vigiling, but then I've also supported people who have had deaths of a loved one, and they're they're Mm -hmm. navigating like grief and uh, bereavement. And I've even had people who've um, had near-death experiences or some people who have been suicide survivors and they just want to talk about death and they want to have some kind of closure with, uh, with their experiences of the brush of death. So the clients come in, to, in a wide variety of ways. Also, supporting people with long term illnesses as well who are at end of life and they are going to die and they're navigating all of the emotional and psychological um, uh, waters that they have to um, go through uh, through the process of dying. So, I've had a lot of word of mouth referrals. So, you know, when you work with a few clients and then people just, you know, Spread word of mouth. Basically, I've had a lot of clients uh, that come through word of mouth, but I've also had other clients that have come through uh, the hospice that I volunteer at. So, um, St. Joseph's Hospice in East London. And so, I've had clients through that, through being a volunteer, and um, also just through. uh, social media at my website, social media as well. Well, people know, oh, she's a death doula. Okay. And the word spreads and then, you know, um, people get in touch. So I try to leave it uh, that way, really open. Like I always feel that whoever gets in touch, it's it feels synchronistic. So I don't try to vet clients or I don't try to give out cards or anything like that like hey call me I'm Dr. Death <laughs> um, I just leave it up to you know whatever flows my way and uh, just leave it at that so that's kind of how it all c- clicks together. Mm.
0: And what, what is it exactly that you are guiding people through like if a person let's say is sick and approaches you and He knows that he's going to die. What exactly are you doing? Are you meeting up for for talks um, besides the structural things, like the emotional support? How does that look?
1: Yeah, so being a a support, an end-of-life guide or companion at the end of someone's life can look that way where you have uh, meetings. So it could be a weekly meet-up with the person and you just hold space for them. Uh, for whatever they want to chat about Uh, some people want to chat existentially and they want to chat the bigger picture or emotional stuff or spiritual things and other people just want a nice distraction or or just a friend someone they they can laugh with and uh, feel some good vibes with and do something uh, positive uh, and or want to relax or de-stress in some kind of way so Uh, It can look like, you know, a hangout session, a talking session, also sometimes a meditation session. So I do meditations that help support persons to bring them into the present moment. Also, I do like um, active, uh, like um, using active imagination, active visualization, where I guide people through the process of dying and moving through uh, releasing fear, the fear of death. And so um that my sessions can look like that too. They can also look at like um uh sessions of of closure as well, which involves um uh, having conversations with oneself, letter writing, um doing like a little ritual process with with one's self in a way to feel release, catharsis. So I feel like catharsis is really important too um, through the process of of death and dying because we can cognitively get our heads around possibly like that we are going to die, but that doesn't say that we don't feel things, right? So I think what we aren't really shown um, in society, in our communities is the cathartic process of dying, um, the cathartic emotional processing integration of dying. Um, people just have the cognitive understanding or the medical understanding. So I really work through a lot of the emotional stuff um, and a lot of reflective practice too, because a lot of people want to uh, reflect on their life. They want to have a life review in a way. So when you're there holding space for them and you're being an active listener, And, you you know, asking, tell me your story. I want to know about you. People can feel so like so much closure and so much integration from their own life story by just, you know, speaking about it or showing images or pictures of their life that it's so healing just doing a self-reflection practice. So um, there's a lot of different tools that I bring into my sessions, but they can look like anything, right? Because it depends on where the person's at. So it could be weekly uh, meetups, weekly sessions via Zoom through meditations. It can actually be um, also supporting family members whose loved ones in the hospital dying, uh, deathbed support, being around the deathbed, uh, helping hold space for that as well. Uh, so you know, even funerals, even the stuff afterwards, uh, organizing a memorial, a funeral, being there for the family. And um, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful process, because you're basically you meet the person where they're at, and what they need and what they want. So and you can bespoke it to their needs. So it's, it can be quite creative in many ways, too. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I also think so necessary because I feel like in my surroundings, not many people know that, especially young people know that um, something like a death support, a death doula really exists. And I feel that this is so important because it's such a taboo topic. We don't really engage much in our own death, like especially when you're young, It's it seems like it's not really important to already engage in this topic but i think we should really start at a young age and yeah i think it's really beautiful what you do
1: oh thank you yeah and the young age too i mean this is the thing. I think in the West, we've got we've got a really big disconnect from the, the dying process. Uh, it's become so medicalized and so taboo, and we don't really want to look at it. And death is for really old people. It's not for young people. And that's really the interesting thing about the pandemic is it's brought it on everyone's radar. It's like young people are dying of COVID too, you know, and there's... It's, it's like it's shocking for some people because, um, you know, all of a sudden it's it's a very much a, a, a real thing that can happen. And I think one of my passions of being a death doula is uh, is I'm a very big supporter and advocate of death positivity and death education. So I, I'm very much interested in, you know, workshops and bringing them to high schools or bringing them to schools to get kids talking about these things. I hold death cafes where it's a safe place for people to meet over tea and coffee and just have conversations, open conversations about death and dying. Um, I'm very much into bringing back the holistic practices and the therapeutic practices of um, dying at home and having more human contact in around time of death and less of a, uh, institutional one, like being uh, put into a hospital and no one can, you know, is there to see you. And uh, after the person's died, you know, their body's gone. I'm into people even being, you know, uh, the process of dying at home and having the wake and the vigiling at home for three days after the death. So people can come and properly grieve and support. Because um, statistics show that the more you have contact with Um, you know, the the deceased person in a time of awake or, you know, vigiling, the better the grieving process is. If if you don't get to see the person and they're just taken away and cremated and people end up having longer grieving processes. So I'm very much about bringing in the education, the positivity, the holistic approach towards uh, death and dying and, and really changing the way we do it here in the West and and bringing a more human and compassionate element and a positive element. So kids don't, kids know about death. They know about the options and it's not creepy. You can do it in a way that just is very life affirming actually. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I feel, I feel dying. It's, it's so weird. It's so fast paced. Like I remember when my sister died, she unfortunately died in the hospital because she was, brought into coma because she had seizures and all kinds of things and um yeah she was dying and we were we needed our time to really say goodbye to her and we really felt that we we should be with her because we really felt that process of her soul saying goodbye and leaving into another realm really directly and i remember um doctors coming in and saying you have to get out now because you already were there with her for five hours and normally you only get two hours and that was so weird to me because I mean you don't really have time to say goodbye to your loved ones. I think it's so important that you take this time and and I found it really beautiful that you said like that there is also the possibility to get your loved ones home and and guide them into the dying process and be with them
1: yes and i'm i'm my heart goes out to you for your sister passing and it's um it's a profound experience like you said that you can feel the transition you can energetically feel it there there there's a, a very tangible energy in and around the time of death it's very high vibration and it's super loving as well there's like this loving peace and calm A lot of people don't realize that they get freaked out that death's this creepy thing that you see in horror movies, but it's actually got a really profound energy to it where there's just so much peace. I know there's a lot of heartbreak, of course, but within the heartbreak, there's so much love too. So it's um, uh, very profound and sacred that you were able to be there with your sister during that time. Um, And it is... Unfortunate that these institutions do have these laws where it's like you only get five hours or three hours with your loved one, and it feels so inhumane because it's like you don't own her, you know. There, she's part of me, and she's my family, and so this can be this can be so heartbreaking and difficult for families because it feels as though as soon as your loved one is dying, it's almost like the institution owns them, and that can feel really traumatizing really traumatizing where you feel like you their body's going and someone else has got a hold of it so that's why I'm a big part of like uh helping people die at home and a lot of people don't know this but with the help of death midwives and death doulas you can support the space for your loved one have them die at home you and your death midwives or death doulas can wash the body prepare the body Uh, wrap it in linens, keep it at home for three days with uh, an ice pack in a cool room. And everybody can grieve properly and spend the three days to have people come and visit. You can um, just allow yourself the grieving and cathartic process. Now, this is totally within your right to do. A lot of people don't know this. They think that as soon as a person dies they're going to turn into rigor mortis and it's going to get really messy and all of this stuff's going to blow up. And that doesn't happen right away. A lot of people think that because of the films and TV shows that we see, and that's not the case. Um, you can actually in the right conditions, cool conditions, and you can keep, you can keep a corpse for three, you know, for three days. and. There is a movement of us that are doing these things um, and it's called the DIY funeral um, and it's called dying at home and it's a holistic approach and it can be absolutely transformative and healing.
0: Sorry everybody for the interruption. We just had a little problem with the internet connection Um, but we go right back in and we just talked about bringing our loved ones home and guiding them through the process of dying. I want to take up on that and would like to know what happens emotionally and spiritually with dying people. You as a death doula, can you experience any similarities or repeating patterns like changing of personality or something like that?
1: When when someone's uh, moving towards death, they seem to go through emotional changes psychological changes uh, as obviously biological changes because they're dying but also spiritual changes can come ha- can happen and some people who weren't even necessarily um spiritual people can often uh become interested in in more spiritual concepts as they get closer to death um, the reason being, it could be a few, for a few reasons. Um, one can be fear. <laughs> so people feel like, ah, I want something to connect to that's greater than myself because I'm afraid. But some people do have profound spiritual shifts when they are end of life, mostly because one of the processes of dying is that people go through an ego disillusion. People do go through ego death, and this isn't talked about very much um, at all. No one really talks about that. People talk about more like the biological decline and pain control and the grief. But people don't talk about the sense of identity becoming dissolved. And this can be very difficult and very challenging for many people because for the first time in their life, they're thinking – who am I? What was I? What what was this? What is this all worth? So the big questions start to come into their sphere. And often people struggle the most at with their the death of their ego. Um, and so people need a lot of support with that. And so with a lot of support with that, there's a lot of questioning reality. Um, and a lot of people don't co- question the construct of the reality because they just take it at face value, you know, and until they're threatened with this, this reality is not going to happen anymore. they start to think, was there anything else? Uh, is there anything beyond this? Uh, what is reality anyway? Who was I anyway? So this is a really big thing that people end up uh, moving through. And so um, part of my work is having these conversations as well, and guiding th- people through a mindful practice uh, that helps them to connect to the present moment and to their consciousness, their perception and of reality and everything that they're perceiving and the present moment. Uh, this can really help people live better actually Um, and in the ways that I've guided people uh, they get astounded at the fact that they're feeling like for the first time in their life they actually feel alive and they feel connected to everything just through the disillusion of their own ego so um, yeah this this ends up becoming something that I see Um, also I see people's experiences shift and change a little bit more uh people ending up having more vivid dream states as they are in the end of life or closer to death uh profound experiences when it comes to deceased loved ones visiting them in the in the dreams uh feeling um even like deathbed visitations where there's you know visitations in the room so these sort of interesting i guess you would say uh, experiences that are quite exceptional, or, yeah. par- you know, paranormal, hmm. seem to happen for some people who are close to death. And I certainly seen it in the like the three days of active dying, where people can end up having visions, deathbed visions, and there be, you know, experiences within their perception of reality, because they're in the liminal space of death, they're on the threshold. So they're able to perceive a little more. So that happens. <laughs>
0: I mean, for me, a long time, it, it was also such a t- taboo topic. And many people find it so weird when I tell about the story when we were there, when my sister died. And yeah, it's it's hard to describe, but it is such a magic experience. There is, as you already said, so much happening, so much energy. And it is not what most of us imagine it's not that it's only grieving there is not only pain it's, it's it's hard for me to say that sometimes because if you haven't experienced it it may sound weird but it even if it was one of the hardest things at the same time it was one of the most beautiful experience i've ever had i think it it also does a lot with with our consciousness i think not only for the dying people but also for for the ones experiencing death
1: at this moment. And I think that like what you and your family did for your sister was provided her with uh, support. Um, You know, we, we could look at it as psychological or emotional support, but I do think that we can provide energetic support for a person who's transitioning and if this support is held within the space of unconditional love, it is beautiful, uh, and it provides a smooth transition because there's a transition that's supported in compassion, um, and there's closure there. Uh, and also, I think there's a surre- You know, there's a certain amount of surrendering that a person needs to do when they die. Some people fight it to the end, and it's a real battle but there is a like almost like a surrender a melting and and a, and a giving up uh in order to uh to pass away and it, it's easier sometimes when you have the energetic support of loved ones who are saying we're here we love you and we're we're letting you go too and we know you'll be in a better place and these this kind of nuanced energy that you know We can't really see, but we can feel it. And certainly a lot of people don't talk about these things. It's really tangible at the time of death. Um, And it's it's important. And you see traditions all around the world throughout history and throughout the timeline of history, cultures and different spiritual traditions where people are holding space for the loved one who are dying. It can be through uh, prayers. It could be through chanting or music, song, drumming uh lots of different ways in which we help the person transist and when i say the person i mean their their essence their energy their consciousness whatever how whatever you want to the soul their spirit you can call it whatever name you want to call it there's something that lifts and change and, and goes somewhere else um um and that's just my belief system. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who, you know, don't think that consciousness can survive beyond the biological death of the body. But I'm I come from the standpoint where I really think that there's so much more we don't know about consciousness itself and even most science can say we don't know the hard problem of consciousness we don't know where it even exists does it exist in the brain we don't really know it maybe it exists outside of the brain is it tangible so there's still so much to learn when it comes to the construct of our you know reality and what consciousness is i'm i'm a, i'm an explorer so i'm very open to the to the concept of i you know, the consciousness, hey, why not? It c- could exist. I mean, energy exists everywhere and it only just transmutes. It never really gets completely destroyed. So, um, and just from my own personal experiences around death, um, and out of body states, I, I kind of think that, hey, yeah, why not? There could be something that moves forward. So, um, Definitely, you can help support a person when they're moving forward by being there and holding the space for them.
0: Yeah. Talking about states of consciousness, do you think that exploring different states of consciousness can act as a, I don't know, training for death? Or even like um, dreaming and death. They seem so closely connected to each other and there are many connections, similarities, how do you think they relate to each other? Can we, what can we learn about death when we engage more with dreaming? Is it like a glimpse into death?
1: Yeah, I think uh, death and dreams are very similar. They're both liminal states. Uh, they're also similar in the sense, on a biological sense, that there is a stillness in the body when we sleep, and our brain waves are pretty much matched to uh what we're experiencing uh, when we're on our deathbeds too so when we're dreaming you know our brain waves go into theta theta brain waves and then really slow brain waves of delta when we're dying our brain waves shift in very much similar ways so they get slower and they go into theta dream brain wave which is like the flow state the dreamlike state and they move to Delta. So they're in delta, delta wave, you know, as we are just before we die, which is like the deepest brain wave. So in a sense, biologically, in a brainwave sense, there's some, you know, similarities there between sleep and dreaming and death, uh, the process of death. And with brain waves, they're important because they are, they measure what's happening in our, uh, with our consciousness. Uh, they're they're a good little map work and a blueprint as to what's happening with what's going on with what we're perceiving and and our experiences of consciousness. So, you know, like, as you know, a beta brain wave is when we're active and alert, and we're problem solving, and we're awake, and we're thinking, it's the, you know, so we can look at a a EEG and CA, a beta brain wave, which is quite phonetic and quick, and, and look at that and go, oh, the person here, obviously is is thinking, uh, troubleshooting, performing a task, then we can look at a, uh, a brain wave where it's a theta wave and look at that and say, well, obviously this person must be dreaming or they are um, meditating or there's some kind of flow state. So these are important um, hallmarks for us to understand where someone's consciousness is. So, very similar in a sense, biological sense, but then what is going on with our consciousness, right? So, when we're in dreams, it feels like we're in another world. We interact with characters, some we know, and some people are completely new and mysterious to ourselves. Sometimes in dreams, we can have profound experiences, some dreams can be entertaining, and if we're able to become conscious within the dream state, in other words, uh, present and aware, lucid, and, and feeling very much engaged. In other words, you're in the dream and you're like, I'm in a dream right now. I'm actually talking to a dream character. I'm going to ask him a question. So you're not you know, passively observing you are the player within the realm of the dream itself. So the more you're able to do that... In other words, become conscious and aware in these liminal states, then, you know, by definition, if consciousness can survive the biological death of our body, we can carry on our consciousness being alert and aware and knowing what's happening uh, after our, our body has passed. Now, there's a lot of traditions, especially in the Buddhist traditions, where, you know, you're trained, you train to become, you know... Uh, adapt at these sort of things so that you can just step right into the transition fully aware and conscious and, you know, go through the Bardo and go through the process of, um, of the many layers of your journey um, through the dying pro- after the other on the other side, so to speak. And there's a lot of traditions that do um, have a practice that can help you uh become conscious aware it 's like a conscious approach to dying, so you um train yourself and this is a really it's ancient it's been around for thousands of years but it's there's something it's super futuristic you know people might think oh it 's just like monks do that it 's like no it's like it's really futuristic because what they 're doing is training your consciousness to be- to be present and fully Uh, aware. Uh, so you are able to just step into awareness, uh, beyond the physical body. So you need to understand also what that feels like of being present and, um, ways of getting being present uh, as definitely as, as practices through the day to, to have you more in the power of the now, uh, more aware with your, Surroundings, your thoughts, your day-to-day life, and and taking it in, uh, calming the chattering mind, uh, and and getting to these meditative places. So we can do this in our you know our day-to-day life, and the more we do it, I think we feel more prepared for death, and also we live in a more lucid way. We live in a more enriched. In magical way. Um, but yeah, a big part of it, though, is to look at the construct of a reality for, through a different lens, so to speak, where you see, uh, you always come down to the the foundation of consciousness. What is it? Am I engaging in my consciousness? Or am I just walking through life like a robot? And I'm just, I'm, you know, sleepwalking through life instead of being engaged in life. So the more you, you, you're able to do that, you can become conscious and aware in the dreams. And then as you're shifting or dying and transitioning, you can be conscious and aware through that process. Um, a really good practice is, is, is the out of body experience. And that's part of the, the dreaming practice too, is, is practicing, uh, Disconnecting your consciousness from your sleeping body, and this is a really great practice for those who are afraid of death and afraid of, you know, um, feeling like they're not in their body anymore. And this can be really helpful for for people who are uh, struggle with uh, fear of disconnect from their physical body. And it can be really transformative too. Some of the experiences you have. <laughs> Wow,
0: yeah. So this is also something that you are teaching, right? What would you recommend to people that have never engaged with any kind of practice like this? How to start um, getting more into the topic of -of out-of-body experiences?
1: I think a really good starting point is to simply connect with your dreams first and foremost. Because when you connect to your dreams and a good way of doing that is starting a dream journal, is that you start to understand uh, the language of your unconscious realms. You start to understand the poetry of your own consciousness as well. So if you're recording them, then you start to understand this dream language and the liminal spaces too. And then you can build upon that through various practices that you do throughout the day uh regarding uh meditations observational awareness and playing with the thresholds of sleep so right on the cusp of sleep the hypnagogic state uh holding your awareness there doing uh observational practices on the on the threshold and also then moving more deeply into other things like you can start working with different plants because I do a lot of different work with uh, plants and herbs that that help um, through various states of consciousness. So there's a lot of different plants called origins which are plants that help trigger the dream states, and they can be really helpful for unlocking um, unlocking things in within your consciousness to have you dream more vividly and more present, and then moving forward you can start to engage in the practices of the out of body experience and I think that once you've developed a dreaming practice a conscious dreaming practice you could take it one step further and start observing your sleeping body as it falls into sleep the different changes that happen as it falls into sleep and the um, the vibrations and the energy that passes through your body when it goes into sleep as well. And knowing, you know, the right opportune time to disconnect your conscious awareness from your body. So it, it's important to, to, to build up these small practices up until the point where you're ready to do an out-of-body experience because it, it does require a mind of equanimity, and a meditation practice to be able to know how to still the chatter of the mind, to be able to pull yourself into um, focused and conscious awareness, and to move, and to also not be fearful too, to to move beyond fear. Because I think people get slightly uh, anxious or fearful when they start to notice that, oh my God, I am actually floating out of my body, or I'm leaving, I'm getting these sensations, you know, and, and it it just makes people go wow so it's good to approach it from um having a little bit of a you know building your muscles so to speak when it comes to uh, a mindful practice definitely
0: yeah which brings me to your book you already wrote one book which is about learning how to connect to your dreams and really create a an own dream practice and you are now or soon um bringing out another book can you tell us a little bit about um what you wrote about or what you what you can await
1: there yeah actually my publisher sent me a copy of my new book today so this is this is my new book it's called conscious dreamer the first book is really to outline a practice to help someone who's just starting out um and they want to just connect to their dreams and they and they want to uh, just simply remember their dreams or simply get a little bit more out of them. So I, I guide you know it's like a little guidebooks to, to help clean up sleep hygiene. I talk about the sleep cycles, brain waves, and just understanding sleep, understanding uh, all the processes of sleep. And then I get into uh, plants, working with different plants, and also with the different styles of dreams that you have and, and how to, um, develop a little practice for yourself every single day that's connecting you more and more deeply to your dreams. So it's a good for, you know, for beginners just to kickstart, kick start a daily practice. And then, and then my new book is gone a little bit deeper. So basically it's a, so it's a 30 day interactive journal. So there's, for 30 days, you have um, lots of fun and creative activities around dreams and sleep and dreaming and intention. So I got like, I'm basically, you know, there every single day of the 30 days saying, okay, let's do this now. And, but I, I want to make it a creative process. So, if you, you know, you're recording your dreams, you're drawing them as well as creating images uh, sharing with other dreamers online. So I'm creating an online community as well with a hashtag conscious dreamer so people can connect with other people doing the book and the doing the 30 days as well. So you can see what other people are dreaming and experiencing. And uh, basically, this book is just to set an intention at the beginning. And then at the end of the journey after the 30 days, you come out with a body of work that your dreams have given you. So your dreams have given you some rich material and it could be for anything, you know, your intention could be like I want to create some artwork. And so at the end you'll have a beautiful array of artwork that it's created. But your intention might be just like I want to heal from heartbreak. And you can you know, your dreams will, you know, work with you for those 30 days to Help you bring that into your life. So whatever you want as your intention, uh, hopefully by the end of the book, your dreams will bring in um, some kind of integration through your experience. So yeah, so that's my second one.
0: <laughs> it's so exciting. When does it come out?
1: Uh, so Conscious Dreamer comes out May 16th, and you can pre-order it already now. I think it's on Amazon and other places, uh, bookstores and stuff.
0: So, if people want to work with you, how can they approach you? Or, you have any online offers, online consultations?
1: Yeah. So, I'm always running courses, workshops, and classes, retreats. Um, I've been doing online retreats, like sleepovers online. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, because of COVID, we've been just uh, transferred online. But if You know, you check out my website, which is luciddreamtree.com. I've got all of my uh, courses up there. Um, I've got another course coming up on lucid dreaming, which starts on March 21st. And it's a six-week course, uh, once a week, um, a group journey with other dreamers. And that ends with a sleepover online. So for six weeks, I teach the practice and we we do... um, all the work so you know it's it's about becoming a lucid dreamer that 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 particular course and it's cool i'm running one right now and i've had like tons of the students have gone lucid through the course they've had their lucid dreams happening um and then a variety of workshops and and various things but yeah i'm on instagram and i've got my website so those those are different ways i've got a youtube channel and I, i make videos with tips and things to do with uh conscious dreaming death uh plants working with different plants so yeah i'm i'm findable definitely do one to one sessions as well i've had one to one sessions with people so yeah i'm all here <laughs> thank you so
0: much for for the conversation i really enjoyed it a lot and yeah as i already said you're a great inspiration and i think your work is so valuable thank you so much for your time tree
1: Thank you so much, Anya, and thank you for sharing your beautiful experience with your sister and your family. Um, Very, very powerful, and I hope that that really moves uh, whoever's listening that these things can be positive and transformative experiences. So, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for sharing yourself as well.